Hello and welcome back to the IDC Tech Talk podcast. My name is Miles Dawson. I am your host today and I'm very excited to welcome you back to another gaming podcast. Yes, a podcast about the gaming industry. One of my all-time favourite topics, as regular listeners will know. Now, I have two guests with me today to talk about this um, this topic. We have Liam Hall. Hello, Liam. Hey, thanks for having me again. And we have James Ball. Hello, James. Hello, good afternoon. I wonder if you could give our listeners just a quick overview um, about yourselves and what you do at IDC. Liam, do you want to go first? Yep. So I lead the research on PC gaming for Western Europe in IDC, and we're trying to expand our coverage onto different aspects of gaming. So we're looking into console and other trends like that. Fantastic. And James? I help research in the mobile phone tracker, and I also do research into mobile gaming. Great to have you both here. Um, and I'd like to start off, if I may, by asking a pretty open-ended question, really. Um, as we know, there has been a lockdown. For for those listening in the future, it is um, August 2020. We are still in the midst of the pandemic for the coronavirus. And as a result, there has been lockdowns across Europe and across the world, in fact. So I'd like to ask Liam, first of all, how has this impacted the demand on the gaming industry? Well, people are sitting at home with not a lot to do. So there's only one way this demand could go, uh, which is up. So consumer entertainment as a whole has been booming ever since the lockdown started back in March. And, and gaming is certainly no exception. Um, as we mentioned with the introduction, I can give us a little overview on the PC and console side of things, then pass over to James. But um, the first thing to consider with, with these lockdowns is, is what this means for students and for workers. So students, schools are closed, universities have stopped, they've got a lot more time on their hands. Uh, there's been some quite unfortunate unemployment be, being handed out and those that um, were lucky enough to keep their jobs, uh, a great deal of these people are on furlough as well. So what this boils down to is a lot more people have time on their hands. Even those that have been fortunate like myself to maintain constant employment throughout this are no longer having their long commutes. So I mean, I'm saving at least an hour and a half each day where I spent sat on a train. And this, these are times, these are hours that I could use towards doing something that I enjoy. And not only that, as we can't go out and socialize with each other, people are social creatures. It's quite nice to have access to talk to your friends, even talk to strangers and get that interaction out of your system. And that's where gaming can really provide a good opportunity for that. And even from an overall perspective, so it's not just the uh, interpersonal relationships that gaming can provide, if we think about um, what this situation, this lockdown, un, the most cliche word in the world, unprecedented situation has caused, it's a lot of uncertainty and a fair bit of anxiety for a lot of people. One thing that quite a few studies have shown is that gaming is quite good at relieving some of this stress. There's quite a bit of a lack of control in consumers at the moment, uh, being forced to look, uh, stay within doors. Uh, they're not too sure when this is going to end. One thing that gaming can provide is a sense of stability and control over your life. I personally play on both PlayStation and PC, and to be honest, I haven't seen lobbies or friends lists as packed since about 2010, back in the, the glory days of Modern Warfare 2. Uh, I don't like to be too anecdotal, however, I'm sure my experience doesn't necessarily reflect uh, the broader market, but if we look at any metric that measures gaming demand, we've just seen incredible spikes. If we look at the users on Steam, there were, there were record concurrent user spikes throughout March and April. And if we look at things like Twitch, so not necessarily playing games, but interacting with them in a linear way, we've seen nothing but records broken there. I think it actually peaked at around 22.7 million at one point, which is just a phenomenal number. Even things like esports. So again, to use myself as an example, I'm quite a big fan of watching football. And with the Premier League not being on, I needed something competitive, some kind of outlet to watch. And as someone active in the gaming industry, 
who's a, quite a big player of League of Legends. I had never even taken the plunge myself to watch any esports. And this has been the real push I needed to finally branch out and give it a go. And just looking at our data in terms of PC unit sales, it's, it's been another quarter of phenomenal growth. Of course, we have seen ongoing growth for, for PC gaming over the last couple of years. It's definitely an area that's gaining traction among the consumers. But uh, particularly among the entry level, we've seen data to support a lot more users are picking up computers and giving gaming a go. Thank you so much for that overview, Liam. I think we're absolutely right in thinking that the uh, the industry is having a bit of a boom at the moment. Uh, James, I'd like to bring you in and have a bit of a chat about the mobile gaming um, market. How's that looking? Well, as Liam said, uh, most parts of gaming have increased. Uh, this is no different from mobile gaming. Uh, we see that, especially with families who have a limited number of screens, uh, a mobile is a perfect substitute to play games on. Freemium and other types of games are readily available on mobile. Also, like Liam said, with content like Twitch and eSports, because mobile phones are so powerful now, this is a viable solution if there aren't any other screens otherwise to use. We also see more interest in subscription services. For example, the new Note 20 series from Samsung gives free Game Pass to people for a selected amount of time. This is not only good in places like the US, where Xbox is more dominant, but also gives an opportunity to places like the UK, where PlayStation is more dominant, so that people can access something that they would never really think of trying before. All right. And um, one of the other questions I had was, as as um, anyone who's following the game in the industry knows, uh, there is a next generation of consoles due to come out towards the end of the year. Not Nintendo, obviously. They've got the Switch. They're sticking with that. But we do have the Xbox Series X and the PS5 coming out towards the end of 2020. So I was curious um, how you see the next generation of consoles impacting PC gaming demand. I mean, we always talk about the difference between consoles and PC and whether one eats into the other's popularity. Um, do you see with the level of power that these consoles are going to have, do you see the meeting into the PC market at all, William? Um, yeah, I think we discussed in a past podcast, uh, the typical console versus PC gamer war. Um, that definitely does exist. There is a rift between the two and both do serve separate purposes as their primary use. I think uh, PC gaming is always going to be the hardcore gamers uh, weapon of choice in the gaming space, whereas console definitely does cater more to the casual plug and play gamer. Um, as you mentioned, though, there are some quite beefy specs being packed into the next gen consoles. Uh, we can touch on the PS5. Um, and, and yeah, there definitely are some, some quite high-powered specs in here. They've future-proofed slightly more so than previous generations. Um, if we look into the specifics, I think some of the main aspects that they do have would be the uh, the eight-core AMD Zen processor and uh, the custom AMD Radeon Navi GPU. And I think one of the biggest selling points, for me at least, is the SSD they're including in this generation, which is going to drastically lower some of the load times. So we are going to see quite a nice jump in terms of generation, generational ability. And as well as looking into um, 4K Blu-ray Blu drive, uh, ray tracing, which has been flavor of the month uh, within the PC community for the last year or so, and also rendering content up to 8K resolution. So what we are seeing in this generation is slightly more future-proofing, as I said. Um, in terms of spec comparisons, of course, you can always get um, already this level of specs on a PC. But can you get it for the same price? Um, I just don't see that being possible. So there is a lot of contention and rumor around what the next gen prices might be for these consoles. I've heard it go from 400 USD up to 650. Um, I, th I think what's most likely in my opinion right now will be somewhere at the maximum around about the 500 USD ballpark. 
I think with the specs they've got, that makes quite a lot of sense. And to get those kind of specs into a custom PC or even a pre-build, you're looking at at least a thousand USD straight away. So of course you can get beefier specs out of the PC, but for the same price, it's just not going to be possible for a long time. Um, in terms of whether or not the demand is going to be impacted, I think, as I mentioned before with the price point, this could be the one question mark here. So people like myself who like to have the best of both, I like to have the plug and play couch co-op with a friend on the console, but I also do like to have modded gameplay and you know some really high power games on the PC side of things and anything competitive for me, I find better on the PC. But with what we've seen in terms of furlough and different consumer budgets being impacted in different ways, by raising it above the 300, 400 pound mark up to around about the five, 600, it doesn't seem quite as possible for the average consumer to opt for both, both an upgrade either to a component of their PC as well as the console of the next generation. So it might become a choice rather than an addition for some consumers. Overall, I would say the impact is not gonna be heavily um, negatively impacted by the next-gen consoles. I think they've both got their own lanes with an overlap that's going to occur, but not for the, for the broad perspective. I think they can both coexist quite well, and I see growth for both. I'm looking forward to both. As am I. I think I'm um, I'm keeping very close watch on uh, how the development goes on. But of course, we've already had the, um, the announcement from the PlayStation that's going to have the digital edition. There was a leak a few days ago that there might be an Xbox Series S, which presumably would be their version of the digital edition. But uh, yeah, keeping close tabs on it, I think it's going to be exciting stuff. Is, is the Series S um, what was codenamed Lockhart a couple of months back, or maybe, maybe further? Because that was rumoured for quite a while, the all-digital edition for the Xbox. Yeah. Because as, as you've got Game Pass on the Xbox, it makes sense to have a digital only edition, right? Because some people might actually never need to download a game again. And I guess, as you mentioned, Xbox there, it's quite important to say they're taking a slightly more um, harmonious or synergistic approach towards PC gaming. So they've announced as well, there's going to be a lot of cross-play available for your own games library with a, with a Windows PC, along with the Xbox of the latest generation. Uh, James, did you have anything to add there? So one thing to add here on the mobile side is that with Game Pass being included, as I've already mentioned, with the Note series, it adds uh, a whole new element of uh, cross-play between games on mobile phones and consoles. One also small thing to add, PC gaming demand against PlayStation. We see that PlayStation definitely expects to do very well. Uh, in recent news, they've doubled their production from 5 to 10 million units. So it's definitely expected that there will be a great interest for the release in the holidays. As anybody who's been watching the announcement uh, videos have seen, there's a lot of older titles that will be coming to the next generation. Um, just to name a few, you've got Demon's Souls, which was a, a PlayStation game from a couple of years ago, as well as GTA V, which is, I believe, is the third generation of um, consoles to have a GTA V game <laughs> on it, which is pretty impressive. Um, do you think games are changing, or do, do you think people just like the same thing over and over again? I mean, is there much diversity happening? Well, people definitely like what they know, and studios like safe bets. I mean, we just need to look at what's been the blockbuster films for the last two years. Uh, but this also does, it translates into gaming. I think the difference with games is that when a franchise works, you can adjust it moving forwards, but also cash in on the nostalgia value. So things like, as you mentioned, GTA, Halo, COD, FIFA, these are always going to attract a lot of demand, a lot of attention. But there's also, of course, some really cool new IPs coming out. So Ghost of Tsushima, which I probably butchered the name of, but that's been a very cool IP that I've been playing lately. And there's a lot of um, pent-up demand around Cyberpunk, which I've been waiting for for about a year now. It keeps being delayed. 
just prior to the recording of this podcast, we were having a discussion over Fall Guys, which has really taken Twitter by storm. It's seeing massive uh, playtime across uh, all different age groups, really. Um, so there's definitely demand both for recognisable IP, but also a lot of new creative things coming into the market. One thing that is changing slightly is the monetization methods of games. So as you've mentioned there with GTA being its, its third generation of consoles and, and, uh, and PC, of course, what we are seeing is the lengthening of certain games life cycles. So one th what this is sometimes referred to is games as a service. So rather than an annual release of a game within a franchise or working on a game for its release and then sending it out to the world, seeing how it's received and giving it minimal support. But essentially, that's the final product. What we're seeing a lot more of are games that are being rolled out and then maintained as, as a living organism in a way they're you know, patched with updates there's different updates there's there's different content being produced for it and there's a real community trying to be, be built around this these are typically uh done for the, on the studio side because there's quite a lot of monetization to be made through things such as cosmetics or in-game microtransactions uh, for the most part these typically tend to be cosmetic because that can stop impacting the game's reception too badly. If you look at the Star Wars Battlefront 2 reception, when a lot of their content was locked behind quite insane time walls or relatively pricey paywalls, that reception kind of kicked things into gear there a bit in what's acceptable in terms of microtransactions in the gaming world. And there's also things like loot boxes. So these are also quite contentious, particularly within certain countries in Europe, such as I think it was Belgium, where there's some new legislation being passed around whether or not these are gambling or whether or not they're okay to be rolled out to under 18s. But these type of things, these type of monetization methods are becoming a bit more prevalent in the gaming world. I agree with Liam. Uh, nostalgia is a, a very important tool that companies can use. I think it can bring in uh, also new groups of people to older games, uh, especially younger generations who may not want to play games with lower graphical capabilities. But I also think games are changing. Uh, we see uh, an increase in VR, we see an increase in mobile gaming, as I talked about. Uh, mobile gaming is now the biggest in terms of revenue in the gaming market. But I believe there's a, a high expectation for the newer AAA titles, as Liam's mentioned with uh, the release of certain games that don't do particularly well for the players. It's good to see that they've always got something older to bring back the nostalgia. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the nostalgia is really important. Here's a quick question for either of you. Uh, did either of you manage to play Half-Life Alex? I, I, I've seen people play it and it looks very good, but I haven't I haven't got a VR set. And yeah, super similar page with me. Um, I definitely followed a lot of the traction around the reception. I think Half-Life's been a meme for, for several years now, so it was a big boots to fill, essentially. I think the game itself did look very good, and I understand why it had the reception, like the positive reception that it had. But I think I guess a lot of people in, in that space are really hoping for an addition to the, to the series they were used to. Definitely. I think that ties in quite well with what we're talking about here, right? Because on one hand, you've got uh, nostalgia. You've got um, revisiting a world that many people have wanted to go back to, but you're doing it in a completely different way. You're doing it using the new technology. And that's why I thought, felt it was exciting. If I had a thousand pounds just sitting around not doing anything, I would probably get myself uh, the full VR kit from Valve. But alas, uh, costs do get in the way. <laughs> um, so my next question is with regards to different play models um, and whether or not the, the coronavirus lockdown in the different countries across the world has boosted these play models, particularly cloud gaming. Um, I'd like to hear any thoughts you have on that and uh, any uh, kind of growth in the market at all. 
Uh, yes, yeah, so cloud gaming is an interesting one with COVID. Um, again, we've spoken about cloud gaming briefly before in another podcast to give um, an overview for anyone who might not be familiar. It's essentially um, a way of playing a game whereby all of the heavy lifting and processing of the game you're playing is shifted off of your device and onto a provider's servers or, or the cloud, which essentially enables you to play a AAA game on non-gaming dedicated hardware. And in theory, this is a, a great proposition. Uh, the one main criteria for this is to have quite a strong broadband connection, typically around about 35 megabytes per second. And it definitely helps to be quite close in proximity to, to the data center or the servers where they're located. So as we discussed briefly before, uh, the, the impact of lockdowns have had slightly different effects on consumer budgets. So those that were lucky enough to work and maintain their employment uh, they may have actually forewent a, a holiday as there was so much travel impacted. So they may have had a bit more extra cash and these were the people that could quite easily afford a, a gaming upgrade to their, to their PC. Those that were less fortunate, however, uh, if they are in slightly tighter financial situations, it's not really as justifiable to, to upgrade your gaming PC if you want to kind of prioritise that towards something a bit more prudent for the future. And this is where cloud gaming can be quite useful. So what we've found in a lot of consumer houses is that where there's a lot of single device households with multiple users, with different time frames, people going to work at different times, school at different times, they might share a device. But what most households do have is quite an old device. So you know, a four plus year old Windows notebook that has no business playing a game with its own hardware. But if it could be used to access the servers for, for example, Stadia or GeForce Now by NVIDIA, this would be quite a strong value proposition to enable you to play with people within your home, or if you yourself have quite an old PC that can't quite handle some of these AAA titles, but you've got nothing else to do at home, you're a bit bored of Netflix, you want to try out some gaming, this was the perfect opportunity to roll that out. So opening the door to that, and as we've already discussed, there was quite a huge audience waiting to try out gaming for the first time, based on the esports viewership, Twitch viewership, and just some great games coming out. So in theory, this would be great for car gaming. But one thing to consider is that while you do have a massive uh, increase in, in users testing out these waters, so we saw uh, Stadia issued uh, a free addition to their Pro, uh, and that was sometime in April. So the, the barriers of entry were quite low. But in terms of user retention, we're not too sure how strong that's going to be. So I've used both. I, I use um, NVIDIA quite a lot. Even though I've got a, a good PC, I like to test out the water, see what things are like. And prior to the lockdown, I had a reasonable experience. I think I wouldn't use cloud gaming for anything fast paced or, or multiplayer because those fractions of a second, that delay can be a life and death in those situations. But anything explorationary or open world adventure, quite slow paced, it can be quite fun for. But what I would find pre-lockdown was around about peak time. So between eight and 10, that's when everyone starts getting onto the, you know, their own home broadband. It gets a little bit patchy. When you think about peak time under lockdown, Everyone's at home. Everyone's under your own roof. I suddenly had four or five more con connected devices at all hours of the day. So the, the peak time lag that I experienced between 8 and 10 expanded to between 10 and 10 because everyone was trying to compete for the same bandwidth. So I was able to notice not a huge difference, but a slightly more negative experience uh, under this. And I didn't really have as much opportunity to experience what cloud gaming can be like when it's at its best. So I think it's been very useful in opening the doors for some people that would have had no chance to play these games, but it might not have been the best user experience and it might not be the best way to retain some of these users once connections do go back to normal. 
Absolutely. I mean, um, I have yet to try out uh, cloud gaming uh, for a similar reason <clears throat> to yourself, Liam, is that I've uh, since being in lockdown, my, my, my broadband has been decidedly slower than it has been before. And I think that's a matter of everyone being at home and everyone using their uh, residential broadband rather than commercial broadband. Uh, but it is something I'm keeping an eye on, uh, particularly as time goes on. I think I'd like to see how things develop as time goes on. So um, with that discussion on cloud gaming i suppose my last question really is um when you see that a number of these consoles are coming in with digital versions um do you see a trend do you see a trend toward digitalization do you think we're going to see the end of the boxed game with a disc inside it what do you think i think there has been a trend towards digitalization for a while i think it's even more boosted by the pandemic as liam was just mentioning people can't go outside to buy a game they're, they're only option is to buy digitally. So combine that with the next generation of consoles and the younger audience that seems to be more open to buying digitally, I think we will eventually see much more digital uh, emphasis from gaming companies. But I also see a slight resistance from older people playing games who still like having a physical disc to buy. Although being said, digital consoles relying on internet uh, and relying on certain requirements could be a good way for parents, for example, to control how much their kid plays. And also having, well, at least rumoured that the digital versions are at a cheaper price also gives parents a greater budget for gaming as well. Uh, one other aspect which uh, will be interesting to see with digitization is how much emphasis is going to be put onto storage. I'm not sure if anyone here has been playing uh, uh, Call of Duty Warzone, but that has gradually been eating up my entire storage on my PlayStation. It's every update came with me deleting three more games to fit it on. I think it's, it's an enormous amount of gigabytes at this stage. So I think we might have to see uh, either external storage devices being provided alongside the device or the latest generation, especially the all digital versions, being packed with some hefty storage capacity. Okay, well, thank you all very much. Um, I'm afraid that is all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Liam and James uh, for helping us out today. There is a blog uh, post that uh, the um, the guys have written. Um, it's in the description of the podcast below. So please head over there and have a read if you want a little bit more details of what we were discussing. And uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Um, please comment on the blog or comment on the podcast wherever you're listening. Get in touch with us on LinkedIn, on Twitter or on SoundCloud. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what's happening with the gaming market, particularly in 2020 and 2021 so uh, and also please subscribe to the podcast we'd love to see you a little bit more and uh, let us know if there are any topics you'd like to, to hear us cover we have over 1100 analysts i believe at idc and they cover all sorts of things so please let us know if there's a topic that we've not covered that you'd like to hear more about we'd love to get into it thank you all very much i wish you all good health and uh, see you next time thank you